0: Welcome to Are You A Robot? Thanks for joining us. Today we are talking with none other than Sydney Madison Prescott. Let's hear what she has to say and then we're gonna jump into the full conversation.
1: My name is Sydney Madison Prescott and I am the global head of intelligent automation at Spotify. Uh, My team runs the uh, initiative to advance our human workforce within Spotify uh, through the use of robotic process automation, machine learning, and artificial intelligence, Um, and I am based out of New York City.
0: So before we get into the full conversation, I just want to say a few updates. The first one is that Sydney has a book coming out in March. You can pre-order it by following the links below. I would highly encourage you to do that if you find anything that she says at all relevant today. The other thing that I would say is just a bit of background on what we're doing here with this Are You a Robot podcast and videocast. This is a series where we aim to explore some of the biggest and greatest questions that stem from AI and related technologies. The way that we're doing this is by grabbing some of the brightest minds in the field so that they can come on here and talk with me about what exactly they're doing, how they see the state of things right now, and if there are any best practices that we can take from how they are doing things. Maybe they're on the cutting edge and they can show us a few ways of things that are that are being done in a proper manner. The next thing I will mention is that the conversation doesn't stop here. We have a Slack community and I encourage you to jump in it. If you like anything related to AI ethics or AI governance, that is the place to be when it comes to Having a conversation around what we talk about in these episodes. So, there's all kinds of smart people in there. I am not the only one. Luckily, there are incredible minds that are very generous with their time and their knowledge. And I encourage you to jump in there, say hi, let us know what you're working on, and how you see the state of the world. Last but not least, I want to give a big shout out to our sponsors, Ethics Grade. Without them, we wouldn't be here and we definitely would not have the high caliber and quality of participants that I get to interview. So if you are looking for a benchmarking firm when it comes to AI, check them out. Also, if you just want to see what your AI ethics score is, you can follow the link below and get that right away. Now, let's talk with Sydney and hear what she has to say. Are you a robot? Sydney, it is great to have you here with us today on the Are You a Robot podcast and video cast. I am very excited to dive into so many different questions with you around spotify and also machine learning ai and a bit of ethics too i want to go down that route Uh, but i think it would be interesting for everyone out there listening if you could just give us a background a bit of history on how you came to be where you're at
1: absolutely so i started my journey uh, into technology in college I was a philosophy major, uh, so I'll be happy to get into the ethics piece as you mentioned earlier. Uh, But I was a philosophy major with uh, a double minor in political science and ethics. And so I took an internship during my junior year, and that internship was at a financial payments company, uh, specifically within the global software and infrastructure org. And I I sat within the asset management uh, team and that is really where my, uh, my understanding and my love for technology started. Uh, okay, as a okay. result of that internship, I started branching out into hackathons and things of that nature within my university. And then once I graduate, I, I continued the internship uh, throughout junior and senior year once i graduated i was offered a full-time position as a program manager Uh, started out as a uh, really looking at data quality Uh, so looking at disparate systems and uh, looking at the etl and ensuring that the the way that the data flowed throughout all all of our complex systems in the company was correct Um, so i started there worked my way up, uh, I dived into uh, the more cognitive automation by having a chance to uh, complete a POC. And that proof of concept was about, uh, can we impact the workforce through robotic process automation? And so this was a few years ago before uh, RPA was the the big thing that it is today across industries. So it was very new, Uh, most people weren't familiar with, you know, what is RPA? Um, And it was, the initiative went very well. Uh, We were able to implement uh, the POC seamlessly and upon having a conversation with the CTO of the company, uh, I became the, uh, the head of the Global Intelligent Automation Center there. And so my initiative was basically to stand up the infrastructure, build the team of developers that would actually take this technology from outside of our our small team to the entire enterprise Um, and that's really where i started and since then, I have been uh, primarily within financial companies, but my focus has been on innovation and more specifically, uh, more of the, the kind of cutting edge tools such as RPA, uh, diving into machine learning, uh, OCR, which is your optical character recognition, uh, and then also now starting to look at um, some ways that we can leverage AI as a part of that overall intelligent automation
0: stack. Well, I think it would be interesting to look at uh, what exactly RPA is and what the role that you're speaking of, like how this is going to, how or how this does in this moment, how this changes things. And like you said before, there's a lot of hype around it. There's a lot of it's an interesting cutting edge thing. So maybe we can dive into that a little bit more because I know for myself, I was a little bit unclear on exactly what it was and what it wasn't.
1: Absolutely. So when we talk about uh, RPA, it, it stands for robotic process automation. And in essence, this is uh software that mimics the exact steps that a human takes when interfacing with a business application or business system, uh, so you can in essence, you are able to take something that let's say a human is clicking through a lot of drop downs they're navigating through a lot of web pages, they are potentially logging in, logging out of a system, uh, maybe downloading uh, different forms, Excel, etc we can mimic all of that through uh, the robotic process automation workflow Uh, and the way this technology works is the software is what we call the robot and so the robot is designed by a developer to flow through uh, that exact process workflow that the human is taking. Uh, One piece that we do is we optimize the business process so we walk through during our requirements gathering, uh, the existing or the current business state uh, and that process workflow. And as we go through it, we look at ways that we can optimize the process through the, uh, the transformation to a, a robotic process automation uh, robot. And through that process, we're able to basically eliminate all of the kind of duplic- duplicative steps that humans take and strip the process down to being extremely efficient. And from there, that developer designs a technical solution uh, around the, again, using that business process uh, and maybe the optimization of that process as kind of the template. Uh, And then that is put into, it's designed in uh, kind of a developer studio uh, within, depending on the the RPA tool that you use. And from there, we can actually uh, watch demos and cycle through as that developer is building out the the new process, the automated process. Um, And typically all of these tools, there are a lot of different tools on the market in relation to uh, robotic process automation. Uh, A lot of them are third-party vendors, um, some of them are smaller, some of them are bigger, um, and the the industry has definitely started to mature so that you do have some industry leaders, some vendors that are standing out, uh, both in terms of the functionality of their platforms, but also the number of clients, uh, the number of, of enterprise level clients that they now have. So it's it's quite a rapidly expanding uh, field in terms of the the kind of the vendor players that are in the space. Um, and most companies do, if they're looking to, to have a robotic process automation implementation, they typically do that through the use of a third party vendor tool.
0: So, can you give us some use cases on what we would use this for or what uh, maybe what different businesses that you've worked with have used it for and how you've taken advantage of it?
1: Definitely. So the the biggest use cases that we see today are those that are extremely rules-based. So this technology works excellent with anything that is very structured, very rules-based, and with any process that has business applications that are relatively stable in nature, so don't have a lot of change from month to month or quarter to quarter um, in relation to the user interface or the UI. And this is because the robot um, can typically work with the user interface of the application to actually begin to, uh, to, to automate the process. And so the use cases we look for, um, as I said, very rules-based. Um, an example would be someone logging into, let's say, Salesforce, uh, wanting to navigate to a specific report, uh, wanting to curate the data in that report, and then wanting to download that report and send it off to another user. Um, you're able to automate all of those steps, including the login, log out, uh, navigating through the drop downs with the robot. Um, any any sort of uh, navigation through drop downs, any sort of um, emailing out additional stakeholders, uh, different attachments. The bot is able to attach um, something to an email to send to someone. Um, you can schedule the emails to routinely kick off, uh, and you can also schedule the process to routinely kick off. So if there's a specific time frame that you need the bot to work within uh, to to meet your your process SLAs, you can actually schedule the bot. Uh, from the orchestration layer to be able to kick off at a certain point in time.
0: I'm actually realizing that it's like when when you have the boards and you go and you take one card from one column of the board and you put it into another, and just by doing that, it kicks off a few different processes. So that would be an example, right, if I'm understanding it correctly.
1: Yes, and you can also – you can definitely uh, create – very complex processes as well. So if you have the need to navigate through multiple applications, um, conduct multiple steps in each application, that is feasible through RPA as well. Um, So it's really any process that is very rules-based, is very structured, has stable business applications underneath, uh, a process where the business, the underlying business logic, is not going to be subject to change. I would say in the next six months or so, and then also uh, processes that have uh, heavy data manipulation. Though those are great
0: processes for RPA. So yeah, I'm realizing like uh, if this, then that kind of thing is a perfect example, I, I guess. And so I imagine a lot of us have been using this, and we didn't even realize. That we were using it and the level of depth that you're going into because you're really your main thing and maybe you can explain this a little more is how can we make the lives of the Spotify employees easier with this technology
1: That is. So the ultimate goal uh, for any RPA implementation is how can you improve the efficiency of your workforce? Um, And this goes to all of the if we think about it this way, a lot of the processes that we complete as employees, we would never think to automate those processes at an enterprise level. Like we would say, I'm not going to automate somebody's daily routine to, let's say, download a specific Excel file right, or and manipulate that data. Um, but what we fail to realize is those processes are extremely tedious and they take a lot of time away from our employees being able to do more value-add work, uh, work that actually requires more cognitive thought from someone. And so the goal for RPA is, how can we strip away those very repetitive tasks To provide that time back, but also in automating this, the process, we are improving a lot of different attributes about that business process. So we're improving the data quality, right? Which, which a lot of the time we see is impacted by uh, mistakes or errors that humans make. Uh, we can improve the throughput the the robot you know doesn't take breaks doesn't take vacation so it can run you know 24 by 7 uh, with the exception of um, any downtime needed for uh, updates to the underlying applications so there's a, a wide variety of benefit that we get whether it's data quality improvement whether it is um, increasing the time that we give back to our stakeholders to work on bigger projects but the the entire goal there is how do we optimize our workforce and have them really work on the things that are going to provide a lot of meaningful value to the enterprise versus those kind of pip, you know, type and pivot uh, types of activities.
0: Yeah, that makes complete sense. And it's making the workforce more efficient. And so I know that you're also dealing with machine learning. And is it in that same respect, or how does that come into the equation?
1: Yes. So we're starting to look at machine learning um, very specific to our uh, OCR initiatives. So we have a lot of initiatives where we are looking at – RPA is very good at automating processes that have machine-readable data. So data that is very structured in a specific format – that the the bot can navigate to. Um, it is not adept, however, at uh, addressing any processes that do not have, that have unstructured data. And so this is where the machine learning comes in. Um, we are able to help the, the robots, in essence, to understand that the data that they typically would not be able to understand. So um, going back to that rules-based, if it's structured, the bot has a very easy path if it's unstructured data, the bot has a hard time being able to understand that and to, um, to basically run through the process. So with the machine learning, what we do is we create a lot of different uh, models where the over time, in essence, the robot learns how to navigate through, let's say, a specific form. Um, it learns where specific uh, attributes are on the form and how to pull those attributes. Uh, it starts to learn the deviations and and what should happen with those deviations. Should those be exceptions and pushed into a specific workflow, uh, or should they be? Uh, can can the bot learn how to actually process those over time? So it's it's really combining. The machine learning with the optical character recognition, and that gives you a higher a higher chance of having throughput that that would um, make sense for you as a business. Um, typically, when we don't add that machine learning component the straight-through processing rate or the rate that we receive the data out that we can actually leverage is quite low. Uh, With the machine learning, we actually can reach much higher levels of straight-through processing, which means that we no longer need a human to intervene in that process to take a look at a wide variety of exceptions.
0: So I feel like the obvious next question is, this is what everyone cries out about right about the machines are going to take our jobs and so I'd love to hear your take on that and because essentially what you're saying is like yeah we've optimized so much that a human doesn't even need to be in the mix but I also hear you saying that we're making sure that the humans aren't doing this because it's tedious it's repetitive and they don't need to so how do you balance those two
1: Yes, that's a great question. So the uh, sadly, I I think there has been a lot of hype around the machines taking over. Uh, You know, whether it's I've read articles, I've seen videos. You know, and it's it's always you know this is a threat. Automation is a threat, but we know as we've seen through all of the the uh, kind of industrial technical revolutions. We as humans can leverage these new waves of innovation to actually almost augment ourselves. I mean, if we think about it, we've already augmented our ability to travel faster. Um, we've augmented our ability to speak to one another, right? We're, we're speaking in different locations, right? So we're, we're augmenting our abilities as humans in a lot of different ways. And I see robotic process automation um, and intelligent automation, which is that entire tool stack, as the next wave. And we, we always hear a lot of people are starting to say like the fourth wave, right? Of, of the industrial revolution. Um, and that is because rather than looking at the this type of automation as a negative, we're looking at this type of automation and we're saying, wow, imagine the potential that humans have if they no longer have to sit there for hours and do these tedious things. Uh, imagine the potential that humans have if you no longer have to double check everything because you're afraid that you made a mistake, right? And that you can just send something through uh, a system without having to worry. So it's lifting the worry, um, it's lifting the, the challenges that we have, you know, as humans, we, we know that we are not perfect, we know that we make mistakes, but we're able to basically augment ourselves with this technology to say, I know I make mistakes, but I have a tool now that can make less mistakes than me, right? And I can, I, all I have to do now is simply look, you know, double check the machine to make sure that it's functioning as it should. But even that takes me less time than manually going through myself and actually completing those tasks. So it's, it's less of, in my mind, a replacement of humans, and it's more of an augmentation of humans. And we're we're even seeing that a lot in the, there's a huge movement for citizen development. And citizen development is uh, where we have business stakeholders that actually learn how to build their own automations. And those stakeholders then are able to basically automate all of their very low level, um, kind of um, low hanging fruit processes. But through that, Again, what we're doing is we're saying, here is a tool for you, like each each employee, here is a tool, just like you use Excel, just like you use Word, um, here is a robot, and this robot, you're going to be able to leverage it, uh, again, in the same way that you leverage all of your kind of Office Suite products or other applications you use to make your work easier, to make your life easier simpler on these uh, more tedious tasks so that you can actually pivot to the things where we really need a human right in the loop like we really need a human to uh, to talk through you know whether it's presenting something whether it is um, diving into thought leadership like that's really where we need humans to provide their input and that's where the true value from the human uh, in that process comes rather than taking that same human and saying like well, instead of focusing on thought leadership, focus on you know pivoting these Excel spreadsheets. It's like it's just a, a change in the I would say the mindset of when we say work and we say work responsibilities. What does that? Mean?
0: Yeah, that's such a good point, and I think it's actually perfect to talk about one of the other guests that we had on. Actually, we have we've had two that were uh we talked a lot about how music right now has gone through that very same shift of being augmented, right? And first it was just like you can think of an instrument as augmenting our musical capabilities. And then when it was the, um, the gramophone that augmented things, and then you have electronic music that augmented us. And now uh, one of the past guests that we've had on used... And a machine learning model to transform his favorite playlist of ambient music. And it learned from all of the, uh, the music on that playlist. And then it creates, it spits out a ambient music MIDI file after it, it went, it goes through the machine learning model and he gets to decide as the musician what sounds he wants to put. As the file. So it's not like there's a human that's totally out of the loop because he still decides on what sounds good to his ear. It's not like a, the machine learning model fully creates that music, which there are uh, models that can do that. But his whole argument was very much like what you're saying is that it's augmenting his creativity. And maybe he doesn't use the whole song, but he can grab a little piece of it and then put it with a few other pieces. And that's where his creativity comes into play, as opposed to just putting out, putting music through the machine and then letting the machine dictate everything. So I find that fascinating. And I uh, also think it's, it's perfect considering you are working at Spotify and I wonder about those, though, I mean, this is just, this just popped into my head, being that Spotify is uh, a streaming platform, and I wonder in the future about how if we get to an age where a lot of people are doing things like that, or they're just making their own music with a machine learning model, and the machine learning model puts out the music, and then someone puts that on Spotify and it goes and gets millions of plays. Who actually owns that, right? Like who should Spotify pay that musician for just putting it through a machine learning model? And so that's, a, that's an interesting one to ponder. And I've actually talked at length um, about that with a few other guests. And it's something that is undoubtedly going to happen right and it's it's probably already ha- you may know better than i do it probably already does happen and so that's something interesting and then maybe now this is a good segue and we can pivot a bit more into spotify and and how spotify in general is using the technologies of machine learning and and ai and i know that there's a lot of machine learning going on with the analyzing of songs, right? And then for the playlist generation, there's a lot of, uh, what is it, the For Me or Discovery? I can't remember which one it is, but there's like playlists that I'm constantly getting on my front page of Spotify and their machine learning made playlists because of the songs that I like. And I'm just wondering, are there other ways that Spotify, that you can tell us Spotify is using machine learning that might surprise us?
1: So I I can't get into like this deep specifics, um, but I I can speak to the ways that my team is planning to uh, to leverage uh, machine learning. So one of the big initiatives that we are um, hoping to pilot this year is when we have robots And it could be any process, if it's a treasury process, a tax process, FP&A, et cetera. Um, But that that, that robot, for whatever reason, fails, right? typically what we do is we have a human go in and review the failure and say, well, what happened, right? It may be system failure. Um, it may be a business exception that we did not handle properly in the design of the robot. But there's a, a lot of different factors there as to why the bot would, uh, for whatever reason, not work as expected. Mm-hmm. So one of the big things we're thinking through is, oh, well, that's still very manual, like that that effort to say, like, why did the bot not perform as expected? And what we'd like to do is focus on actually having the bots recognize specific errors and be able to Mm. actually um, come to the ability to basically say, okay, I'm going to troubleshoot this myself as a robot. I think that this problem is, you know, problem A. And I have three different ways that I can solve problem A let me go through and let me try each of those potential solutions, one, two, three, and if one of them works, great. I notify a human that there was a failure, but I chose option three and the process continued. If I go through all three options and none of them work, it still hasn't fixed the problem, then I, as the robot, create a ticket for a human to look and the ticket will say, I, as the robot, I tried, I saw this error. I tried these three uh, troubleshooting uh, aspects. None of them worked. So now I need a human to assist with this. And the goal there is, as the robot starts to run through processes and it starts to, in essence, see different errors, it's going to learn from those errors what potential troubleshooting methods it can use. And And through trial and elimination, Each bot would say, have three different uh, troubleshooting measures for every error. Only after it's tried itself to rectify the issue would it notify a human. And the goal there is again, how do we decrease the amount of time that we as humans are spending on time consuming efforts? so if the bot fails and it can fix itself, that saves our team from having to dig through the code, exactly. having to look at you know, whether you know what happened, is this something that we didn 't design it for et cetera yeah. um, so that 's one way that we are it 's a pretty unique way, but it 's a way that we 're looking at uh, self healing bots in essence, so can the bots actually heal themselves? Without uh, us be, having you know
0: human human involvement in that process, yeah, you, it's basically you're taking the base level of the RPA and then you're throwing machine le- learning on top of it to make sure that you get that extra added bonus. And I find that fascinating. And it really is nice that you have this option of the machine learning telling the human hey, it came to me having to write up a ticket because I tried all these other ways and they weren't working. And so now somebody has to go play Sherlock Holmes and figure out why something broke. And so I'm wondering as far as when you're doing this and you're deciding to implement certain technologies uh, like the RPA or even the machine learning on top of it, is there any kind of like ethics board that gets into how you're using machine learning and what kind of information is privy to the machine learning models and and all of that?
1: So from the RPA side, no. Um, the way that we typically handle that though is we are uh, required to to interface with our compliance teams. And those mm. are the teams that are really looking at um, to, to your point, how are we managing data, what type of data, how are we storing data, uh, mm-hmm. what type of data are we accessing, uh, and what are the uh, the guidelines around data storage, um, you know, do we need to save the data for a certain amount of time in case we need to refer back to it. So all of those pieces are very much in partnership with uh, our compliance partners. Uh, in relation to... The way that we are managing data uh, and the the processes that we're touching, we really leverage the existing uh, business process kind of guidelines. So we and and those guidelines have been vetted um, again by the relevant parties to make sure that we're handling data properly, et cetera. so as as the RPA team, we are responsible for making sure that, we do not open up any additional risk in relation to the kind of the guardrails that are already around that existing business process.
0: Okay, great. And and then as far as like the machine learning goes, is there ever – because I just think about uh, yesterday I was talking with a very smart man, Noah Gift, and he was saying how he was using Google as an example on – how the smartest people in the world have been recruited for years by Google and actually the tech industry has been looking at Google and really applauding them for this rigorous interview process and if you get a job at Google, that just means you're the cream of the crop. And his whole argument was, well, yeah, they've had the smartest minds working on some of these problems for the last five or eight years And what they've done is essentially you look at things like what happened in the US and you're seeing on YouTube that people are being drawn down these YouTube holes and they're going into something like uh, these conspiracy theories, right? And so he's saying without this oversight and without looking at the bigger picture, you have smart minds that are optimizing for something like watch time or however long to be on the platform. And then if you don't realize what you're doing, you all of a sudden create a situation like we had with uh, a week ago or a week and a half ago. I can't remember exactly when it was. But I I just wonder about, obviously for, for you, it's a much different situation you are optimizing for the the, le- the least amount of work that uh, the least amount of repetitive kind of busy work i guess we could call it to be done by the employees so that it can open them up to do more higher level thinking and different amount of work uh, i still wonder on that is there any is there anybody that comes in and says are we sure about this goal? Are we really needing to like go for this? Is this a, a good intention? Or is that something that is, is more just sp- spoken about or not spoken about uh, between the employees?
1: That's a great question. So we definitely have those conversations. They typically are questions. Uh, they're typically conversations at my level, so the mm-hmm. senior leadership level, uh, talking through to your to your exact point. Do we need to do this? Do we need to automate this? Uh, what are the potential ramifications of of going through with this automation? Um, is this something that is going to serve the the community? Right, the internal community. Yeah. Um, what are the what are some of the ways that we could predict that this could have the unintended right um, impact exactly. of this automation mm-hmm. so we definitely have those conversations at the I would say the very beginning of the project um, and then also mm-hmm. as we walk through the process we we look at everything that the developer is designing and what we're looking for is we're looking for uh, mm-hmm. any sort of, unintended results that could come out unintentionally from the way that the solution is actually designed. Uh, Um, And then, of course, we also look at uh, any elements that we think could mean uh, that it's a malicious actor. So we do all of those things both uh, at the beginning of the process during the requirements phase and the documentation phase, but also throughout the uh, SDLC, the software development lifecycle. I would say for the other, uh, you talked a, a bit about technology and you know the smartest minds. I, I think there's been a lot of pushback on that because we have seen that the technology sector as a whole um, has a kind of a diversity and inclusion issue, and, mm-hmm. and so there's been um, arguments that they're the smartest minds, but they're the, they're being cherry picked, right? Like yeah. they're the smartest like male minds, right? Yeah. <laughs> they're the smartest, right? <laughs> like non-minority minds. Like they're not, exactly. it's not a true depiction of the smartest minds, right? So mm-hmm. that, and there's been a lot of research on this where it's, you know, a lot of um, kind of researchers are starting to say that could, that is most likely leading to a lot of the negative impact that you see when we see the gaps in in the way that the thinking is, is produced because we don't have... Uh, uh, we are not. We don't have a um, homogenous l- way of looking at the world as individuals, mm. and we have to make sure that we're including a little bit of everything. And what unfortunately for, I would say, the vast majority of the, the tech industry's existence, we really have narrowed it down to a very small pocket of the workforce. Uh, having the ability, right, to to step into these positions. And as a result, we see um, implicit bias that's coming out in these, these you know, automations that are being built. Biases that are not, that aren't necessarily indicative of, well, this is, it's flawed like this because a human designed it, but it's flawed like this because we have the same type of individual from the same type of background, right? Designing everything. And they have the same biases. They have the same gaps that they're going to miss. And because of that, the product that we design is inherently flawed. Do I think that there will always be flaws in things that we design because we are humans and we are flawed? Probably. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Do I think that we can dramatically reduce the number of flaws um, and then that even goes even further is what do you define as a flaw, right? So then you can get really, really esoteric with it. But if you just go to the baseline of okay, we want something that performs as intended, right? That that's our definition of not flawed. We can get to that faster, I would say, and probably have um, probably fulfill the requirements greater if we expand our our acceptance and understanding of who can contribute to that that technology project who can contribute basically to the conversation um, because when I think about about technology I think of it as conversations that we are having as humans about again how do we optimize you know our business processes how do we optimize the way we work um, how do we optimize what we deliver right to to our clients and all of that, the more the the more diverse the voices are that contribute to that conversation, the less likely I have seen, at least in in my wheelhouse in technology, the less likely it is that you're going to have significant gaps in, in your understanding of what you are delivering um, to your audience. So I, I think there's we definitely have a long way to go. I know it's an it's an ongoing discussion. Um, I know there are a lot of initiatives that are out there to uh, there's a lot of STEM initiatives, yeah. STEAM initiatives uh, to introduce more more women into technology, uh, more diversity in terms of ethnicity. So there's a yeah. we have a long way to go. But the projects and the companies that I have seen flourish the most in terms of technology are truly the ones that embrace that kind of diversification of Almost like the minds that are that are allowed to contribute to the conversations
0: so many great points in that one or two minute i don't know how long you were talking there, but just that that was brilliant. I really appreciate that and the perspective that you bring to the table on that um, I, I want to I was trying to remember what exactly the statistic was that I heard, but it it goes in line with what you were saying. And it was something along the lines, maybe you've heard it or seen it too, where it's like the the countries that are being led by women are being led in a much better way. Uh, There's actual statistics behind that. (laughs) Better way is very (laughs) broad. And I know it's absolutely horrible, especially for the data people that are listening. But... Uh, I I find that just to go right in line with, yeah, we need more inclusion. And that's something that we've talked about quite a bit on this show. And we need better data from all over, not just from a certain subset. And so having people at, in those conversations like uh, that you were talking about that you are looking at before you even start a project, having a diverse group of people there to talk through what could be the possible ramifications of this, what could be some unintended consequences, then I, I think that is so important and so huge. And sadly, it's not seen enough or if it is, being done it's just kind of as lip service sometimes so I think that is a it's a crucial piece of the puzzle and I think the first question that I wanted to ask on the tail end of that is is that something that happens all throughout Spotify when any initiative is is being brought to the table uh, and then the next question that I wanted to ask was what and how are your thoughts because I I Imagine that you've undoubtedly had, or someone has brought up at these conversations, um, the idea of auditing the algorithms and auditing the machine learning and auditing the systems that you put into place just to make sure that everything is falling in line and you get somebody uh, from outside to look at it. And I just thought of that because one of the last people that I uh, interviewed does that very same thing. And so the first question is: Is it something that happens at Spotify, and, and is it a company-wide cultural thing, or is it just your team? And then, what about audits? Uh,
1: yeah, two great questions. So, in, in terms of the um, the company-wide, yes, like we are very strongly ingrained, um, and and it's not just lip service in relation to. Uh, diversity and really opening ourselves up at that kind of requirements gathering phase for um, differences in thought, differences in, in approach. Uh, we follow the agile methodology and part of that is that we really want everyone to weigh in. Um, and, and again, the, the diversity and inclusion part comes um, at, at the very beginning, like we have a strong push uh, at the beginning, you know, as before anyone even enters the company to make sure that we are uh, a, a more inclusive company. And in, in relation to how we enact that, um, again, it, it's it's really a culture of anybody can contribute. Uh, we don't have hierarchies where it's like, oh, well, only the leaders can contribute or only this person nice. can contribute. Everyone is on the same um, footing in terms of being able to contribute, being able to say, well, what about this, right? Uh, Being able to poke holes in in something that someone has suggested, right? Because at the end of the day, it's pushback, but it's positive if it nets positive outcomes for Mm -hmm. for whatever we are attempting to deliver. Um, And I've seen it work really great just in terms of really appreciating everybody's voices at the table. Um, and I've, I've seen that throughout working with um, a large variety of teams across Spotify. So I definitely feel that it's a, a cultural thing because we are, we want to be agile, we want to um, celebrate failure, we want to be able to learn from our failures rather quickly. And so we're very open to brainstorming and and coming up with different ways of of executing something and then um, talking through which which route we want to start with. Uh, And then in relation to um, the audits, we're very big on that as well, so we have, audits that happen throughout the year. Um, mm. We audit ourselves as well, just as inter- internally. Mm-hmm. Uh, we do different samples of projects that we have um, executed. We sample the outputs, and we, we just randomly sample the outputs of every process. And what we do there is we do a full check to see, does this output match what I what I expected the bot to actually produce? And then on the flip, and that's just the internal team conducts those on a monthly basis, those audits. And then the other part piece of the puzzle is um, the additional audits that our compliance team does, and then also additional uh, external audits. So we have, I would say, a, a very um, heavy auditing uh, schedule. And it's, it's very robust because, again, it's from the internal team itself. It's from the, the team that sits outside of us, which is uh, the internal audit team. But then there's also external audit as well. So we really have three layers, which makes it a more holistic approach, I think, to making sure that the automations that we are building, that they work as intended and that the outputs are what we expect them to be.
0: Yeah, I think... Robust is a great word for that because it seems like you're policing yourselves, but you also have two others that don't necessarily have a horse in the race to come and make sure that everything is also going as planned. And, uh, and so, and correct me if I'm wrong, then I understand that's kind of company culture standard also.
1: Very much so. We are, we're very much driven to, uh, pr- make sure that we are producing anticipated results, and and, be, and mm-hmm. holding ourselves accountable. I think is a bit, is another big piece. Every oh, team yeah. that that I have worked with, and teams across Spotify, really do hold themselves accountable for what's delivered, um, and that's done a variety of different ways. But in essence, it's it's about really internally checking what your team is producing and ensuring that. You we don't bake in our own uh, assumptions about what's being delivered because I can say, oh, I delivered a perfect product, but then my stakeholder could say, no, you didn't because you missed half of yeah. the requirements that I wanted, right? So it's about really listening, really receiving the message of, am I truly delivering what I was expected to deliver, right? Um, are my stakeholders happy, whether that's internal stakeholders, external stakeholders? And, how, and the biggest piece, and this is very much company culture, how can I continuously improve? How can I continuously improve my partnerships? How can I continuously improve what my team is is delivering? Um, and how can I continuously improve the partnerships that, that I have with my team members so that we can be a high-performing high uh, team within Spotify?
0: Excellent. Yeah, and I know that Spotify is... Quite well known for its two pizza box engineering teams, and uh, and the engineering blog is very transparent. When there are problems, they make sure to show the world, "Hey, here's how we we fix this." And so I applaud Spotify for doing that. I <laughs> I wonder, I you see, I uh, probably behind me that I have a guitar. I have some music on Spotify, and I am asking for a friend what do i got to do to get the algorithm to pick up my music (laughs) (laughs) Uh, actually
1: (laughs) so so i i don't i'll be completely transparent i'm not really in that wheelhouse i (laughs) do know that it has to do a lot with the number of i i know that it has to do with the number of plays like basically Mm -hmm. like in essence the more plays that people have, because the algorithm is basically picking up personal preference, right? So the more people that listen to your music and say, oh, that, that's my personal preference, or they listen to something that is tangential to your to your music, mm-hmm. and then they get a recommendation like, oh, you should try this music as well. So it's really about what are people listening to and if it's something that's similar or if it's, if it's your exact music, that's kind of what, like, it's, it's basically learning preference and in, 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 uh, at, at the end of the day. So it's, it's kind of what people prefer is what's actually driving what is recommended.
0: Yeah. It's a bit of a side note and a tangent, but I put my music up. My, my wife and I have, uh, Uh, group together and we put our music on Spotify in like 2015 I think and after a few months on the platform all of a sudden we had thousands of plays and it was very much like wait who's listening to us like my mom doesn't listen that much and I don't even know if she knows how to use Spotify especially not in 2015 and uh, come to find out that the algorithm picked us up and in Mexico and Chile, we we were getting a ton of plays out of nowhere. And uh, so we rode the wave. And then one thing, the reason I was asking is because then we put out more albums, but those didn't get picked up. So I guess Mexico and Chile moved on from our music and wanted to go to something else. But I, uh, I, I think about that. And I think there's an interesting question there too as like... Being an artist, luckily I have this great job where I get to interview uh, people like yourself and so I don't fully depend on my income from Spotify. Um, But for if I were someone who was fully uh, living the artist life and being a musician, trying to dedicate everything to that, I, I remember feeling very... Much like I had no say in what was going on. Like I would put something on Spotify and maybe it would go and maybe it wouldn't. And it was uh, it was like I would do the same promotion beforehand and afterhand for both. And then some of them just got picked up and others didn't. So I remember thinking, wow, that's that would be very hard if it were my only source of income. And there's a whole nother ethics talk that we could get into there. I know it's not your, your wheelhouse, so I want to stick to what you uh, feel more comfortable talking about. And I think that the, one of the final questions I have for you is jumping back to what we were talking about in the beginning and the machines taking over these lower level tasks so that we can have humans do other things. And I'm wondering, in your eyes, what do you see? What tasks are humans always going to be involved in? Like, as, and especially because you're kind of on the bleeding edge of this and you're seeing what is going, uh, if it's not already gone in Spotify, maybe in other companies, they still have these jobs or these roles or whatever, uh, or these tasks. And maybe even at university, they're educating people on how to do these tasks. But really, when you get into the workforce, those tasks don't need to be done because of things like the automation. And so what, as someone maybe speaking to people that are are in the workforce and, or they're trying to reskill, or maybe they've been affected by COVID and they want to, get out there and do something different, what would be a good path to go down that will assure these automation, the automation isn't going to affect us?
1: Well, it's interesting because I think that all of the fields, like I, like I said, I, I work uh, within the the financial engineering team, but there are so many other fields, um, including like HR, legal, legal, Um, and others that I touch with my work. And what I've seen is those jobs aren't going away. They're simply changing. So we still need lawyers. We still need Mm -hmm. HR professionals, right? Like, I don't think those jobs are ever going to go away. I think the essence of what those jobs entail changes, Mm -hmm. right? So it, it may entail less, again, of that pivoting, back and forth, shuffling papers type of work, and more, you know, strategy, strategy, like strategizing new approaches, strategizing new products. Um, being Those are things that we, we can't take that away with robots, right? Like mm-hmm. those are things that we need human intellect, uh, in essence, to be able to provide to us. And I, I see that across different industries where, again, the robots are more augmenting what humans are doing. And that is changing what the job responsibilities are, Mm -hmm. but it's not necessarily changing the fact that 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 job still exists it just exists in a different now it exists in a different capacity right so now you may learn less about um excel macros right when you go into let's say an auditing uh firm and you'll learn more about rpa you may learn how to build your own robot to be able to to do what the macro was doing so there i think it's going to be ups like Whatever role you are in, and regardless of industry, every industry, as I said, from legal to uh, to finance, it's less about being worried about whether your job will be taken away and being more open to learning the technology. Because I, I think that's where we're going. We're going in a way where humans will have to be willing to upskill themselves and be ready to upskill. Um, and we're, we're seeing that with this big citizen development movement um, that I spoke of earlier, where it's all about, okay, we're actually going to train business users to build their own bots. Mm-hmm. That doesn't take away their job. It actually enhances their abilities because now they're, they've they been upskilled on how how to build a robot. They can, in essence, build out their own kind of low-level processes without needing to rely on an IT team, and that opens up a a world of possibility for that individual and for that team, Mm -hmm. Um, and, and that's knowledge once you learn it. You can continue to build upon it. You can take that knowledge with you when you go somewhere else and, and say, like, mm-hmm. "Oh, actually, I know I know RPA." Like, even though I'm an accountant, I know RPA. Even though you know I I work on a tax team, and, and I think that's where the industry is going. Saying having less of a division between technology and business. At, at the end of the day, we're, mm, we are yeah. looking at a world that's changing into almost one office and it's less of the back office, front office capabilities and more so, it, it doesn't matter if you work in the front office or a back office, you're able to execute those those kind of ideas and um, business propositions seamlessly because you have been upskilled to do that.
0: Hmm. Yeah, fascinating. And I um, I realized I totally like went down the the route of saying that jobs are disappearing and the automation is taking over when and I just at the beginning of this uh, I completely agree with you that it's not necessarily as doom and gloom as uh, you may hear in the news and I appreciate that perspective of saying yeah this is something that we're going to need to just familiarize ourselves with so that we can get better at, getting rid of those tasks. And so seeing the, and I think the way you put it of there's no front office and no back office. And then the really the augmentation that happens when me as a industry expert or a subject matter expert to be able to automate some of these lower level tasks and open me up for... Uh, higher level things. I just wonder, so what What are your, or have you seen this happen before where I'm, you know, Demetrius and I go into work and 50, 60, 70% of my uh, daily routine is something that can be automated. And so then I learn how to automate that. And now all of a sudden I've got 70% of my life back. And so what do I do? Do I just like work just as hard? Like I uh, I work that 100% and then I have to figure out things to fill that time with and like how have you seen that transition happen when people basically get pieces of their life back and then what do they start to focus on? Maybe you have some some stories around that?
1: Yeah, that's a that's a really um, interesting topic because what I've seen is we actually have so much work that is on the back burner that shouldn't be on the back burner, but we literally just don't have the bandwidth. and And this is not not just saying Spotify. This is like every company that I have have worked uh, in the intelligent automation space. There is a so much work that has just never been touched, which is sitting there waiting for, uh, and it usually is. It usually is not. It's not the manual work. It's the work that requires somebody to actually think through to strategize, mm-hmm. and that work ends up sitting on the back burner um, sometimes for years, just because mm-hmm. you, the team doesn't have the bandwidth to get to it because they the the amount of kind of tedious like day to day things they have to do just take up the majority of their time. So what we've seen actually. Um, and again, I've seen this at every company that I've worked in the intelligent automation space. We actually see that once that work gets gets stripped away by the automation, the workers usually can pick up. The They usually already have a whole slate of work that just hasn't been touched That that even the leadership will say, like, this is a priority, but we just haven't been able to get to it. Like, we don't have the bandwidth. We don't have the, you know. On the resource etc and so they're able to then pick up those things and it's a really great it's a really great thing to see because you see in real time the impact that lifting that those tedious ta- manual tasks away has yeah. on more value added things like so it's not that that work gets automated and then the person is kind of sitting there twiddling their thumbs. It's more so like, oh, this is so great because I've had like four or five projects that I have not been able to get to that have just been sitting there. And there are people waiting on those projects, but I just haven't had time to get to them. So it it really does. Or or even um, additional functionality. I've seen teams say, we actually are not really delivering what we should be delivering as a team, because we are doing so much, you know, paper pushing and things of that nature, like, that's really not what we're supposed to be delivering, we're supposed to be delivering XYZ. And so they're able to pivot to those things that they have not been able to deliver as a team. So I, and I, I think that's really where we're going, which is, where we know that there are things that we should be doing initiatives that we should be enacting or working on that we just don't have time for. And now as a result of this automation, we say, well, I finally have time to get to that project that you know we've been saying, we think it could have a huge impact on the enterprise, but we just haven't had time to get to it in a year, year and a half. Um, and I continuously see that through, throughout the work that I do, which is we almost have, we have more than enough work, but we don't, ha- we, as human beings, right, we have a finite amount of time. Like, we can't, we can't do it all, all the time. And so what this is allowing is to say, like, oh, well, we can't do everything all the time, but we can do a lot more now that we automate all those other things away. Like, now we can really open up and expand what it means when we say, like, we can deliver, you know, specific uh, objectives for the company.
0: Yeah, I could see that. It's a recalibration. It's making sure that, and it's funny. I, I guess that's a human nature trait that we like to put more things on our plate than we actually can handle. And so the uh, the other thing that I was gonna ask on along those lines, I mean, you mentioned learning learning about how to automate and learning how to work the programs. That's something that would be very valuable. Are there other areas that you feel like are definitely... Because you mentioned at the beginning the um, giving presentations. That's something that can't be automated, right? The uh, What what was the other one that you mentioned? I think it was these critical thought kind of um, tasks that we have to go through. Are there other things that you feel like they will never be touched by automation because it's just too too much of a human thing?
1: Yes, I definitely think the building of teams uh, and, and kind of the the chemistry of the teams, like that is something that will, I, I believe, will remain um, distinctly human. Uh, mm. I think that things that require, um, that's the perfect way to put it, things that are distinctly human, like empathy, right? Uh, mm. The ability mm. to, oh, I forget what it's called, but the ability to to see ahead of where you are in time and space, right? That, that capability, those types of capabilities, those are things that are very distinctly human, which, I mean, there could be some arguments like one day we'll get to that place with with AI, right? But we, we definitely are a long way from that happening. Um, even the most rudimentary, uh, or even the most complex, I should say, AI that we have today, it it still pales in comparison to the the abilities of the human mind. Mm -hmm. And I think that is where people should find some comfort is that, you know, we as humans, we have the best computer, right, which is our mind. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So knowing that, it's like, Oh, Okay, but I I can actually augment that computer with these other kind of more primitive computers, which is the robots, the, you know, the AI, the machine learning. Um, and, And that's how I think of it. Like, there's so many things that are just uniquely human that we may or may not ever be able to automate. But that's okay because there's a lot of things that we can automate and take off of our plate. So it's, it's, uh, it's kind of satisfying because I, I think there is definitely a balance there. There's definitely a, a cadence where we can say, here's the things that we do very well as humans, whether it's empathy, whether it's again, um, understanding like time, space, recognition, like all of these different things, we can do that. Um, we have the capacity to, to deliver that not only for ourselves, but for others. And, and, even if we never automate that, that's not necessarily a bad thing. Like that's, there's some things that we will always keep and then other things that we'll say, you know what, like we actually don't need to do this. It's kind of it's the same thing as um, any other technology reviews, like cars, right? It's like, okay, do I really need to walk? you know a thousand miles, or would I rather use a machine to be able to get me a thousand miles right so yeah, yeah. it's it's not it's not taking away the importance of my ability to walk right, just because I use a car, and I think that's how we have to think about technology it doesn't take away. Your ability as a human being to do these things, it simply frees up your time to do other things, right? Um, and actually gives you, provides great benefit, like speeds up a lot of the things that you could do. Uh,
0: yeah, perfect answer. I, yeah, I completely agree with that. And even looking at the car, now we're realizing on however many iterations later, maybe we don't even need to be the driver of this whole thing. <laughs> So I just have one last question for you and then I'll, I'll let you go. I really want to thank you for taking the time to speak with me and, and break down your view and what's going on at Spotify and how you're tackling automation, what uh, the potential for it is. I mean, there's so many great points that you make in this. Uh, so I really I thank you for that. The last question that I have is, are you a robot?
1: Well, I, I think, uh, like I said, I think everybody has some aspects uh, of a robot in them or a computer, I should say, in them. Uh, I myself am not a robot. Uh, but i I do enjoy kind of my my space, my time, and and being able to to kind of be at the forefront of this this type of automation um is really interesting because it does bring up a lot of ethical um, questions. It brings up a lot of questions about what it means to be human. So there's a lot of things that are built into it, which are um, really fascinating, to be honest. And I genuinely love this field because it's it's rapidly expanding, but it's also bringing up a lot of um, important conversations that we need to have around how do we move forward? Um, how does humanity move forward and continue to uh, embrace technology and, and feel less threatened by technology, but also embrace who we are and in and, and knowing that technology isn't going to answer all the questions, right? Like there, it's never going to be the, the ultimate solution for everything, right? Like we, we have to realize it's, it's one piece of a bigger puzzle. And, and I think for me, that gives me comfort saying like, oh, okay, we've, we've, we're have we've starting to slowly but surely figure out this one piece of the puzzle, right? We're going through these different, like I said, revol- industrial revolutions where we're slowly but surely, your, your um, com- comment about the car is perfect, right? Like we go through iterations of like, mm-hmm. hey, this is a great idea, but what if we could do this? Hey, that's a great idea, but what if we could do this, right? And it's very exciting to be a part of that. Um, and I'm excited to see where we go especially uh, we've seen so many changes just in society with unfortunately the global pandemic mm-hmm. and I think there's going to be a lot of interesting things that come out of, of solutions um, to, to you know not being able to be in direct contact with other human beings and like how mm-hmm. do we I mean there's yeah. a lot of conversations around that right now so that's going to be an interesting uh, piece of the puzzle the virtual work Right. The virtual workforce is another piece. And now I think that's going to be impacted by robots a lot. So I think it. I would end it by saying, like, it's OK not to be a robot. <laughs> um, I think being a human is pretty great. But I would also say that it's also OK to not be afraid of technology and afraid of what it can do for you, because it, it really can. Um, enhance your life whether it's in, whether it's in music whether it's um, in the health technology field I mean there's just a, so many it's so applicable to so many things that it's a really uh, astounding field to be a part of so
0: incredible yeah perfect perfect way to and if anyone wants to reach out and connect with you and speak more what's the best way to get a hold of you
1: Oh, a couple different ways. So I would say LinkedIn. Uh, I'm on LinkedIn as Sydney Madison Prescott, Sydney with an I. And then I'm also on Twitter Mm -hmm. at Sydney in, like in the city. Uh, And, oh, and then I also have a book coming out. I forgot about that. So I have a book about, uh, specifically about citizen development. uh, Mm -hmm. And it is called um, The Citizen Developer's Guide to Studio X. So it's all about, Uh, and it's a hands-on book. So it's all about take this book, there's actual exercises in it, and you can learn how to build out your own simple automations um, through the book. And that's coming out in March of 2021. Uh, And it is, I believe it's on pre-sale already on uh, Amazon and a few other of the like uh, booksellers.
0: Perfect. We can leave a link to that below if anybody is interested in checking it out. And also we'll, we'll, put all your social details in the description too. Sydney, thank you so much. This has been incredible.
1: Absolutely. Thank you so much for uh, joining me. I hope everyone uh, has something that they took away uh, in in relation to robots and just remember that uh, this is a a brand new world and it it can be uh, quite exciting to get into.
0: Incredible. We'll see you all later. Thank you.